Hello, this is Laurie Kaufman, author of The Lens and the Looker. This is the final of eight free installments of The Lens and the Looker, volume one in the Verona Trilogy. To find out how to get all the other installments, go to my website, www.lauriekaufman.com. That's www.lauriekaufman.com. Enjoy! Chapter 18 "'Welcome home, Mastino,' Nicodemo said as his cousin dismounted the carriage. "'It's good to have you home early from your trip.' "'Thank you, Nicky,' Mastino said, stretching his stiff limbs. "'It's good to be home. Oh, my back and legs! Such a ride! So, all is well here?' "'Well enough. There's a meal waiting for you. Would you like to freshen up first? "'Actually, let's walk around the square to stretch my legs. "'Good.' You can fill me in about news not in your letters. Nicodemo caught Captain Caesar's eye and motioned up the square. The captain sent two men ahead. Nicodemo and Mastino followed behind them. The demonstration of Carl's new cannon was very impressive, Mastino began. They can throw a 400-pound boulder almost 250 paces. And the roar of the cannon, it will terrify our enemies if it doesn't kill them. "'Truly,' Nicodemo said. "'And what was their first impression of our lookers?' "'Oh, that was the wonderful part. "'They fired the cannon, and Carl said, "'Come, let's look at the damage.' "'And I replied, "'No need to soil our boots.' "'I pulled out a looker and spied through it. "'Within moments of Carl and his generals trying it, "'they wanted any number we could provide, "'and they will trade for us for the cannon technology. "'So we need not even give them money.' So, Delacapa's brass and crystal lookers turn into gold for us. Romero's lookers, yes. They were halfway around the square, walking leisurely past the treasury. Some officials coming out a door stopped and bowed. Mastino just nodded as he paused. So, how goes it at Delacapa's? Will they be able to supply? They have good plans for enlarging their shop, yes, and they are very determined. You don't think the old man will turn to drink again? The reports from Florence you received about how he ruined his old business, it can't be repeated. I think not, cousin. He looks a man reformed, resolved to make his house rich, and the plan he showed me for an even more advanced lathe was most extraordinary. Yes, the water-driven thing you wrote about. The savant's invention again, no doubt. But one never knows about people newly wealthy. They often become more elevated in their minds than their true station. Almost back to the carriage, Mastino stopped and rubbed his neck, twisting his head one way, then the other. People like that often cause their masters annoyances. Perhaps we should not give them this gift so easily. Maybe we should make it so they will be more appreciative of our boon. How so, Mastino? They were back to the palace's entrance. Mastino smiled at his cousin mischievously. Come. We'll dine, and I shall tell you. It's so good when plans fall together. Oh, and one other thing, maybe not so good news. Mastino stopped and looked at his cousin. Feltrino, he escaped and killed a guard. Mastino pondered this. Then he shrugged, turned, and continued into the palace. Ah, well, we're far enough ahead now. Four days after escaping, Feltrino was back in Verona. He kept his beard, wore commoner's clothes, a floppy, wide-brimmed straw hat, 
and drove a two-horse wagon full of turnips and cabbages. One of his two horses was actually a riding horse, smaller and bred for swiftness. When he somehow got a looker, he would leave the city, abandon the cart, and hurry home. After accepting whatever a market vendor offered him for his produce, Feltrino strolled toward a tavern to relieve his thirst. On the way, he bought a couple of sweet pears and munched one as he walked. He stopped as he passed a space between two buildings, spying a filthy young man rifling through a heap of garbage, looking for scraps. He'd seen countless people do this, but he recognized this wretch. "'Hey, ugly one! You work for that lens-maker, don't you?' Feltrino called. Ugolino looked up. He was ragged and haggard again. He had found something recognizable as food, and began chewing on it as he gazed at the person speaking to him. "'I know you,' Ugolino said, looking hard at Feltrino. Then he made a face and spit out something even he couldn't stomach. He spit again to clear his mouth. "'I saw the way you were looking at Julietta.' "'She's a ripe piece of fruit, that one,' Feltrino replied. He began to toss his second pear up and down, catching it and tossing it. "'So, how goes your house?' Ugolino scowled at the young noble, then looked down. "'Ah, not so good for you at home, eh?' "'I don't live there any more,' Ugolino mumbled. "'What did you say?' "'Really?' Feltrino continued to toss the pear. He could see Ugolino eyeing the fruit. "'Here,' he said, tossing it to him. Ugolino grabbed the pear and chomped down greedily. Feltrino laughed. "'They had good food at your old master's, I hear.' "'Baron Pontremoli told me that while we were having lunch in his office the other week. "'You miss all that good food?' "'We ate like princes,' Ugolino mumbled again, his eyes going soft. "'Suddenly he felt transported back to the Della Cappa table, "'jostling merrily with his old family, joking and eating out of his very own bowl. "'He remembered happily slurping and munching on the wonderful rabbit stew "'before they went to church on one particular day.' He was a hero that day, the day the bishop first wore the discs for the eyes. Feltrino's voice jolted him back to the garbage-strewn alley. "'Well, I know what it is to eat like a prince. I am one. And I'm here on princely business.' Ugolino looked at Feltrino with suspicion. "'Come,' Feltrino said. "'Let's go into the tavern. I'll buy you a princely meal.' A meal and several cups of wine later, Feltrino knew all. "'What does it say?' "'What does it say?' Agostino demanded. Shamira had stopped serving dinner to answer the door. A soldier handed her the message and said he was to wait. The master became very anxious. Everyone but the signora stopped eating to listen. "'Master Agostino della Capa,' Shamira read, "'our lord, Mastino II della Scala, has returned ahead of schedule from his business with our German allies. We have urgent business to discuss and command you to come to the palace immediately.' Bring your apprentice Romero and any planning you may have prepared, including the new lathe. Follow the messenger to the palace, signed by the hand of Baron Nicodemo de Pontromoli, for His Excellency Mastino II della Scala. Romero, let's go. We dine again with the Podesta. Feltrino and Ugolino were up the street, peering from the edge of an alley. They had been watching the house since last night. Feltrino couldn't believe how easy it had been to deceive the ugly dolt. The simpleton had gaped at him, his open mouth full of food, when Feltrino said that after they stole a looker, Ugolino could come back to Mantua and be his squire. "'Would I have my own bed?' the fool asked. "'Why, of course.' After their night of reconnoitering, they saw Handsome and Lincoln enter the house for dinner, and then watched apprehensively when the soldier rode up and handed the message to Shamira. 
That's Carmilla, Ugolino said too loudly. Feltrino hit him to be quiet. A few minutes later the master was hurrying out the door, putting on his fancy new cap. There's the master. There's Romero, Ugolino cried. Feltrino swatted him again. The soldier motioned for them to follow, which they did on foot. What can be going on? Feltrino said softly. Then the door burst open again, and the signora barged out. She began waving a hanky and shouting, "'Good luck with the protesta about the looker, husband! Good luck!' Agostino turned around quickly and shushed her in an annoyed fashion, waving for her to get back in the house. The kitchen girl and Julietta came out and grabbed the old woman by the arms and pulled her back. While several neighbors laughed, the master turned and hurried on. "'They're going to the palace about the looker, are they?' Feltrino said. He thought for a few moments, then smiled. Ugolino looked at him curiously. Feltrino walked up the alley to his wagon and pulled something out of one of his bags. It was another piece of paper. He wrote something on it. We'll wait a while, then have someone deliver this. It seemed to Pan that Master de la Capa might have a heart attack by the time they got to the palace. Even though the soldier was walking his horse, it was hard for the men on foot to keep up. Handsome was sweating profusely by the time they got to their destination. They were greeted by Baron de Pontremoli at the palace door, and while he was friendly, he was also somewhat reserved. They were taken to the same dining-room as before, but no sumptuous food was set before them. "'Wait here. I shall return with the Podesta as soon as possible.' After all their hurrying, now they were made to cool their heels. "'Something's odd,' Pan whispered to Handsome. "'It's the old hurry-up-and-wait routine.' Feltrino flicked the boy hard on the nose and then pointed at the Della Capa house. "'Do you see that house? You take this letter there. And what do you say?' Feltrino asked. "'The lensmaker told me to bring this letter to you,' the boy said. He was about ten, very dirty, but he didn't look stupid, and he did look peeved at having his nose beaten. "'And then what do you do?' Feltrino continued, flicking at his nose again. "'Come back and get my coin.' "'Buon, now go and be quick.' Feltrino and Ugolino watched the boy go to the house and knock. Shamira answered the door, took the note, and the boy ran back. Shamira read the note to Julietta. Master della Capa requires another looker brought to the palace immediately. That's all it says. Things must be going well at the meeting if they need another sample, Julietta said, smiling. I guess, Shamira said, staring at the note. There's only one left in the leather case. It's in Papa's room. We'd better hurry. Just as Julietta ran up the stairs, Lincoln came in. "'I'm getting a snack for the boys,' he said. "'What's that note about?' "'They want another looker brought to the palace right away.' Lincoln took the paper. "'Whose chicken scratch is this? It's not Handsome's writing.' Shamira shrugged as Julietta came running down the stairs. "'We must go to the palace quickly,' Julietta said. "'Oh, darn,' Shamira said. "'I've got this stew cooking. It'll burn if we don't watch it.' "'You stay here, then,' Julietta said, smiling brightly. "'I can run fast, and on the way home I'll stop and get some wonderful fruits for dessert. "'Papa and Romero will most certainly bring home a huge order. "'We'll have a celebration.' Pan noted that when Nicodemo and the Podesta finally came into the meeting-room, they had tentative looks on their faces. Mastino smiled, but did not shake hands. Plus, he sat somewhat down the table from the others. "'Let me see the documents you speak of,' he said to Nicodemo. Nicodemo collected the plans for the new lathe, as well as the lists of materials. He showed them to Mastino, who looked at them for a protracted time, nodded, then placed them even further down the table, out of reach. Then he looked up and began, Fifteen hundred lookers. That's how many I need for the Germans. 
Master de la Capa began to breathe very hard. Then he crossed himself and forced a smile. The lathe design we now use? His voice broke into a squeak. He started again. The lathe design we now use is superior to all in Europe, and it was made right here in Verona, and, as you have observed, we have yet another design to make us yet more efficient. Noble gentlemen, I will not fail you, and... Agostino stood up and bowed as low as he could. I thank you for your order. Neither the Podesta nor Nicodemo answered. They allowed a long silence, looking at each other, and then at Master de la Capa. Agostino stood there, puzzled. The Podesta's secretary, Nicodemo, took out a leather portfolio. He pulled a letter out of it and motioned for the master to sit down. He held the letter up. Oh, oh, Pen whispered to Handsome. Agostino, you are our friend, Nicodemo began. We wish you no harm. But it has come to our attention that you are indebted to several people in Florence, men who would like to know where you are. Agostino's eyes widened and his jaw dropped. You still owe much to some glassmakers in Murano and Jews you borrowed money from in Florence. Both the secretary and Podesta kept innocent looks on their faces. The master's head fell to his chest. He was clearly embarrassed. I... I had some times of trouble, Your Excellencies. As do we all, the Podesta answered. But... Those times are past, the master said, doe-eyed. We believe you, Della Capa, the Podesta assured. Agostino, Nicodemo said, we have asked you here to inquire how you will pay for the new supplies. These are very large orders, and, well, you have no credit. Um, ah, uh, well, I'll negotiate, I suppose, the master said. Continuing to do the hatchet work, Nicodemo said with a little chuckle, Oh, Agostino, our ambassador to Florence says you left a very bad taste in the mouth of the glassmaker. And the Jews? They are suspicious that your ugly apprentice stole back some repossessed items. Agostino fell to his knees and begged. We were desperate, signori. A sick wife and a daughter and me ill from the grape. Before my troubles, I was great friends with the glassmaker. And to the Jews... They are honorable and gave me much credit in my younger days. Now that I am well, I will travel there and renew these friendships. Agostino, please get off your knees, Nicodemo said. There is no need. But in all honesty, I think it will be some time before your credit is honored in Florence again. Longer than we have, I am afraid. Agostino's machismo quickly evaporated, and he looked down at the floor. Pan whispered in Handsome's ear. Ask what they propose. What do you propose, signore? Handsome asked calmly. Ah, very good, young man. Direct, the Podesta said. Master de la Capa, please, off your knees. Be calm like Romero here. Ugolino saw Julietta run out of the house with the leather carrying case strap slung over her shoulder. He saw her wave up at the Satori's window, smile, then take off running toward the city. That girl has swift legs, Ugolino heard Faltrino say, smiling. Then Ugolino felt his new master pull hard on his ear. Andiamo! They ran and mounted Faltrino's wagon. Faltrino whipped the horses and took off quickly. We'll get ahead of her at Piazza Bra. You'll run and snatch the looker from her. What? She'll recognize me. Faltrino backhanded Ugolino across the face. 
Don't question me, idiot. You won't be living in this town anymore. What's it matter? I guess, Ugolino said. Hey, turn here. You missed the street. Now see what you made me do, fool. By the time they got turned around into Piazza Bra, they could see Giulietta in the distance, striding quickly around the stalls. Damn, Feltrino cursed. We'll have to catch her at Piazza Grande Erbe. Get your ass off the wagon and go get her. Ugolino looked at Feltrino with some confusion. Go on, damn it. Grab the looker and we'll meet somewhere around the square. Hurry, hurry. Ugolino looked quickly around and saw a blanket on the wagon floor. Just as he grabbed it, he felt Feltrino pushing him hard. He tumbled off the seat and landed on the ground. Get going! Ugolino got to his feet and ran as fast as he could. He wove in and out of people in the aisles, bumping many. By the time they got to the Grande Arabe Square, he was only about fifty strides behind Giulietta, hidden within a dense crowd of people. Suddenly Giulietta stopped. There was a procession going through the square which nobody could pass. "'It's the bishop with a relic of San Zeno,' Ugolino heard a townsperson say. The line of people turned into a wall, which Giulietta was now stuck behind. Ugolino could see Giulietta become agitated. She started pushing her way through the crowd, the leather case with the looker slung behind her. As he made his way through the crowd, he put the blanket over his back, like a cloak. Ugolino was now only a few feet from Giulietta, the leather case almost in grasping distance.' Shamira finished stirring the pot of stew hanging over the nice even bed of coals in the hearth. She put the wooden spoon to her lips, tasted it, and smiled. Then she turned around and saw a wooden bowl on the table. She would bring the signora a snack. As she got to the table, she saw the note about needing another telescope. She looked at it again, and something stirred in her mind. She picked it up and examined the paper. Both the paper and the writing were somehow familiar. Shamira slammed down the spoon on the table and ran out of the house. She ran down the alley and into the shop. Lincoln, caught up on work, was giving the little apprentices reading and writing lessons. "'Look at this,' she said, thrusting the note in front of him. "'What about it?' he asked. "'Where's that note Feltrino gave the master?' Lincoln's eyes widened. He went to the nail on the wall and pulled it off. They held the notes together. It was the same paper and handwriting. "'Boys, go home, now,' Lincoln said firmly. "'But big brother Maruccio,' little Pippo began. "'I said now!' Lincoln and Shamira hurried the boys out, locked up the shop, and ran for the palace. Ugolino reached forward, his fingers almost touching the leather case. Julietta pushed herself through to the front of the line, and the case moved away from Ugolino's grasp. "'No need to push,' a man's voice said to Julietta. "'If you want to see the bishop and the relic, just say, per favore.' "'Per favore, signore.' I need to get through on urgent business at the palace. You'll not get past the possession for a while, Ugolino heard the man say, but come stand at the front here. There was a parade of priests and soldiers walking slowly through the square. Deep lines of people were crushed together on two sides of the procession as it passed. Ugolino pulled the blanket over his head like a cowl and wormed his way the extra few feet toward Julietta. The looker case was still slung over her back, only inches away. The bishop was walking right in front of Julietta, behind two priests who were carrying a small, ornate trunk between them. "'The bones of San Zeno!' one of the priests cried. "'The bones of San Zeno!' Many in the crowd crossed themselves and cheered loudly. They were so loud and caused such a distraction that Ugolino thought to himself, "'Now!' and he grabbed the strap of the case and pulled on it as hard as he could. 
Miracles for believers, the priest cried. Hurrah, shouted the crowd. Julietta flew back violently as the case was yanked from her. She fell to the ground amid the crush of townspeople. Ugolino turned and pushed himself out of the crowd. Stop! Thief! he heard Julietta scream. Stop! Ugolino could feel the hands of several men grabbing at him. Obviously, the sight of a beautiful young woman struggling up from the ground inspired them to be helpful. Ugolino punched one in the neck with all his might and stomped the foot of the other, tearing himself from their grasp. He broke through the back of the throng and started running in earnest. Stop him! he heard Julietta cry again. He pulled the blanket tight around his neck to make sure she didn't see who it was, but heard her continuing to shout. He looked back quickly to see her running past the two men who had initially grabbed him, but were now standing nursing their bruises. Julietta really could run, he saw. He began running down a street, and there he saw Feltrino standing and peering from around a corner. He was waving for Ugolino to duck into the alley with him. Feltrino withdrew, and Ugolino careened around the corner, right into Feltrino's strong hands. "'Juliet is chasing me!' Ugolino croaked, out of breath. "'Yes, I saw her,' Feltrino said, smiling. "'Stand back here!' Ugolino took a step behind Feltrino and watched him clench his fist and draw back his arm. Julietta suddenly appeared around the corner, and Feltrino smashed his fist into her cheek. She fell to the ground like a rag doll. "'Hey, you didn't say you would,' Ugolino gasped. "'Give me the looker,' Feltrino said, his hand reaching toward Ugolino, still smiling as if nothing had happened. Ugolino looked at Feltrino, then down at Julietta, lying in a heap. When he looked up again, Feltrino wasn't smiling, and he had his sword in his hand. Ugolino handed the looker to Feltrino, and the noble smiled again. "'She shall be my toy for later,' he said merrily. Feltrino tossed the looker into the back of the wagon, clipped his sword onto his belt, then bent to pick up Julietta. "'A diversion on the way home tonight.' He picked up Julietta's limp body and dumped it into the back of the wagon. He looked around, and seeing the blanket around Ugolino's shoulders, took it and covered Julietta. "'You didn't say nothing about hurting her,' Ugolino spouted, grabbing Feltrino's shoulder and spinning him around. As Feltrino came about, Ugolino felt a sharp, excruciating pain in his arm. He backed off to find the tip of Feltrino's dagger embedded in his shoulder. "'Aye!' he screamed, pulling away from the blade. Pain and blood gushed from the wound. "'What's the matter with you?' Feltrino shouted. "'Don't ever touch me!' "'But, Julietta. "'Get the hell out of here, you stupid peasant!' Feltrino screamed, bringing the dagger's tip to Ugolino's face. "'But I'm your squire. You said—' Ugolino then felt more searing pain as the knife point scraped across his cheek. Ugolino screamed and ran into the road. "'You, my squire!' Feltrino shouted in a laugh. Then he snarled, "'A filthy peasant like you! And such a fool!' "'Oh, I might as well kill you now,' Feltrino said, taking a step forward. Ugolino turned and ran. He heard Feltrino laughing behind him, but no footsteps following. Ugolino ran and ran as hard as he could. By the time he got to the Piazza Bra, cramping pains were shooting from his shoulder and blood streamed down his arm and face. "'I'd better get to Signora Baroni,' he thought. "'That dirty, rotten bastard! He said I could be his—' Ugolino stopped in his tracks. He stared at two people who had suddenly stopped in front of him. They were staring at him, obviously shocked at what he must look like. 
Then Ugolino began to babble so quickly he was incoherent. Maruccio, Carmela, Veltrino took Giulietta. He knocked her out and put her in a wagon. He stole the looker and is going back to Mantua. I tried to save her, but... Slow down, Ugolino, Shamira said. What are you saying? You're bleeding like a stuck pig, man, Lincoln cried. It's Feltrino. He stabbed me. I tried to save her, but he knocked her out and stabbed me. Save who? Shamira asked again. Speak more slowly. Julieta. Veltrino has her looker, and he hit her really hard, and then he put her in a wagon. He's going back to Mantua with the looker. And Julieta. My God, Shamira gasped, turning pale. Is Julieta hurt bad? Lincoln asked. I don't know. He hit her real hard in the face, and she went down. Then he put her in the wagon and covered her with a blanket and said he was going back to Mantua. Oh, my God. God, oh my God, Shamira said, we've got to... Then she stopped and looked at Ugolino hard. How do you know he was stealing a looker? And why would he tell you where he's going? Almost caught in his lie, Ugolino froze. Hey, he stabbed me when I tried to save her. I hate the bastard. Ugolino saw Shamira and Lincoln's eyes widen with shock when he took his hand off of his wounded shoulder and more blood oozed out freely. He quickly clamped his hand down and winced. "'Where's the master?' he asked. "'He's at the palace with Romero. "'You better go and get them fast. "'The Podesta, too. "'I'm bleeding bad. "'I gotta get to Signora Baroni.' Shamira continued staring at Ugolino. He could see she was trying to figure something out. "'You better go, Carmela,' Ugolino said to further distract her. "'That bastard is probably driving out of the city gates by now.' And you know what he'll do with her when he has the chance. He made a pained face, which he didn't have to exaggerate. I've gotta go, he said, hobbling away. Lincoln stopped him. What did the wagon look like? Can you describe the horses? Just a plain wagon. I don't know. Oh, the horses. One was a big ugly thing. The other was a nice brown one. I gotta go. And with that, he turned and limped away. Oh, my God, my God, Chimera said. We gotta go! Come on! Lincoln grabbed Shamira's arm and pulled her forward. They ran the rest of the way to the palace. Luckily, Captain Caesar was in front and recognized them. Captain Caesar, she panted, and then quickly explained the situation. He instantly turned and shouted to a soldier on the palace roof. Signal to close the city gates! All of them! Now! he called. The soldier on the roof picked up some flags. Come, I'll take you to the Podesta. What do you propose, signori? Handsome had asked the Podesta calmly. "'Si, signore,' Agostino said glumly as he got up and sat on the edge of his chair. "'I am at your mercy. Please believe I did not intend to deceive you in any way. Circumstances—' "'Of course, of course, my friend,' Nicodemo said. "'We have all been in tight places where circumstances dictate that we put ourselves in God's hands. But seriously—' Examine how your resources would be overstretched for such a project as fifteen hundred lookers. You have but two lathes and a small staff of youths and girls. His Excellency is dealing with kings and dukes and princes. Do you think it wise of us to make promises to kings with such a situation as yours? I understand, signor, the master said. Handsome saw Agostino was getting himself under control. 
But has my word not been good in our dealing so far? Did we not deliver early, and did we not just show you a lathe design far superior to any in Christendom? Yes, you have on all accounts been faithful, Master de la Capa. That is why we honor you with this meeting, Nicodemo said. Thank you, Excellency, Agostino said with dignity, though his eyes were still wary. What is it you propose? I am in both God's and your hands. The Podesta looked at Master de la Capa, and then at Nicodemo, then back. He put a hand on the plans for the water-driven lathe, pushing it yet further down the table. Perhaps your shop and resources are too little, the Podesta said. Perhaps we should arrange the looker's manufacture in Florence. Horrified, Agostino lost his composure again, crying, But they are an invention of my house! There was an insistent knocking at the door. We are busy, the Podesta shouted angrily. It's Caesar, an emergency. Come. The door opened and Captain Caesar walked in quickly. Handsome was surprised to see Shamira and Lincoln standing nervously in the hall. When the master saw them, he seemed even more shocked. The Gonzago, Feltrino, Caesar explained. Apparently he stole a looker and is making his way out of Verona with it. Has he gotten away? Nicodemo asked. I've signaled the gates closed. The girl and boy just got here with the news. There's more, Shamira said, stepping into the room, wide-eyed. The Podesta signaled to Caesar to let her speak. It's Julietta. Feltrino's kidnapped her. She's with him. In the courtyard, Captain Caesar was assembling his men to chase down Feltrino. The Podesta was going, too, on his big white stallion. He was so angry that yet another generation of Gonzaga was besting him, he wanted personal revenge. The baron was trying to dissuade his cousin from going, but he would not hear of it. He also ordered extra horses, as they would be riding hard. I had him in my hand, and I showed mercy, the Podesta complained to Nicodemo. I was only holding him, and he does this to me, stealing my lookers. No sign of him at the gate, Excellency, Caesar reported. He may already be outside the walls. The master, Shamira, Lincoln, and Hansom were standing by, looking frantic with worry. You must save my daughter, Excellency, Master de la Capa pleaded. Please save her. Go home, de la Capa, the Podesta said. Your home has already done enough, letting them take a looker. Let me go with you, Excellency, Hansom pleaded. I can ride well, and you have extra horses. Please let me go. She is like a sister to me. Oh, you can ride too, the Podesta mocked. My savant's talents are so very diverse. Mastino saw the savant thinking. It was like he was listening to someone speak to him. And I can track, Hansom said. I am an excellent tracker if they go off-road. It would be logical for the Gonzaga to go off-road, Excellency, Captain Caesar said. I don't know why he would be using a wagon. Because he's got Julietta, Hansom said emotionally. Perhaps she went willingly, Mastino suggested. No way, Hansom shot back loudly right at the Podesta. He instantly felt Caesar's strong hand grab his shoulder roughly. "'It's okay,' Mastino said, almost amused at the outburst. "'After all, she's like his sister.' "'We are all very close,' Shamira added as calmly as possible. "'That is all good,' Mastino said. Then he laughed. "'Captain, give Romero one of the spare horses. We shall observe his skills.' Captain Caesar looked surprised. This was a very different horse than what Hansom was used to. He looked up at the beast, almost seventeen hands at the withers and positively massive. 
I'm used to riding Arabians, he said to the Podesta as he got up somewhat awkwardly. The horse started to test Handsome by pulling away. Handsome yanked hard with both reins and dug in his heels, bringing the animal to a dead halt. But whatever the animal, they have to know who is in charge. There was only one main road to take a wagon on if Feltrino was traveling to Mantua. It split several ways after a while, but until then, the riders could ride at a gallop. The first fork in the road was a quiet place. Few wagons would have passed there in the last while. Handsome rode his horse to the front of the line and jumped off. "'Don't let our horses trample the recent tracks,' he said. He ran from one road to the other, letting Pan scan the impressions of both wheels and horse hooves. "'From what Master Lincoln was told by Ugolino about the wagon and horses?' While Pan was informing Handsome of his observations, Captain Caesar was discussing the situation with the Podesta. "'The road to the left is the most direct route,' Caesar said. It goes through several villages, but he wouldn't care about that. The road to the right is rougher and almost a half-day longer, through a valley and heavy forest. I say we go to the left. I think not, Handsome interrupted. There are three recent wagon tracks under four hours old. Two go to the left and have only one horse. Our information he was using two horses, a big wagon horse and a smaller one shod for speed. See, notice the hoof prints. Unmatched horses. This one goes to the right. One of his horses was not a wagon horse, the Podesta repeated. And you can see that in the tracks? Handsome nodded. He may abandon the wagon and girl if he detects us, Captain. Divide our men into three groups. The larger one on the road, and send smaller ones through the forest on either side. Come, we must be quick. Julietta stared at Feltrino, trying not to show the hatred and fear in her heart. One side of her face felt puffy and ached. She was standing in the forest, now high on a hill, her hands tied in front of her. Feltrino was looking down into the valley with the looker. "'It's lucky I decided to get us off the road,' Feltrino said. "'They would have caught up with us by now.' "'My God! I think that's Mastino himself. They're moving away from us. We should be safe here.' He put down the looker and turned to Julietta. "'How does this marvel work?' he asked, referring to the telescope." There must be many ingenious things inside to make it do such magic. Julietta stared at her captor blankly. She had assembled many lookers and knew it was just three lenses, one at each end of the smaller adjusting tube and a larger one at the end of the long tube. I don't know how they work, she said. It is learned work that only people like my father can do. No matter, Feltrino said. When we get back to my city, our philosophers will take it apart and discover the magic. Then he looked at Julietta. I think we are safe to stay here for the night. And then he smiled sardonically. Julietta caught her breath. Please, no. But Feltrino had already taken a step toward her and grabbed her wrist. Even filthy from traveling all day and that swollen face, you are still very appealing, he said. No, Julietta said again, struggling, but Feltrino's other arm was around her waist and pulling her toward him. Julietta screamed, but Feltrino laughed and put his hand over her mouth. She bit down hard. "'Bitch!' he cried and threw her to the ground. "'Now I won't be so nice when I—' But his threat was interrupted by the sound of a branch cracking loudly somewhere close by in the trees. Feltrino drew his sword and knelt by Julietta, the saber tip close to her throat. "'Keep your mouth shut!' A large horse broke through the branches, one of Mastino's soldiers upon it, Feltrino sprang up before the man could see him, his saber extended. 
Julieta watched as the man turned in the saddle at the last moment. The blade, aimed at the space between his breastplate and backplate, missed the opening and bounced off the polished steel. Julieta didn't wait to see what would happen next. She ran into the woods. Handsome was kneeling, allowing Pan to examine the tracks in the hard-pack road. The Podesta and Captain stood behind him, silently watching, while the other soldiers looked on from their horses. Still saying nothing, Handsome stood up at Pan's command and scoured the area ahead and then behind them. He could see the Podesta staring at him intently. Then Pan spoke to Handsome, who repeated his words. "'The tracks we're following have disappeared.' "'But there are plenty of tracks on the road,' Captain Caesar said. "'Those are old tracks, Signor. "'He must have pulled off the road at that rocky area behind us "'and headed into the hills. "'The wagon must be hidden.' "'A rider approaches from the trees, Master Handsome,' Pan whispered. Two horses and one rider, about five hundred meters off the road. "'He'll be out of the woods in a minute.' "'Handsome looked over in the direction Pan referred to. "'Someone's coming out of the forest,' Handsome said. "'The Podesta took out his looker and used it. "'How could you—' "'He's right. It's Sanchez. He's leading a second horse. "'Damn, there's a man slung across it.' "'Sanchez could give no word whether Julieta was still with Feltrino. "'After finding the riderless horse, it took the soldier time to find the body. "'Handsome jumped on his horse. "'He was chomping to dive into the woods, giving chase to Feltrino.' "'Caution, young master,' Pan whispered. "'Patience. This is war. You must keep a cool head if you want to keep it at all.' "'I want to go to his last known site, and we'll track him from there,' Handsome said under his breath. "'No,' replied Pan. "'It's best if two other men start there. The rest should go down the road, and two should veer off every two kilometers to pick up the trail. The last group will most likely be cutting him off from the front.' If we can go in as the third group, probabilities are we should be closest to him. With my enhanced sensory perception, we should be able to find him easily. Handsome interrupted the Podesta and Captain, who were strategizing, and repeated what Pan had said, except for the last bit. Both the Captain and Podesta raised an eyebrow. So did most of the men. The Podesta chuckled. I concur, Captain Caesar, the Podesta said. A sound strategy. Sanchez, the Captain said. Take a man and start back to where you found the body. Watch for doubling back. The rest of you, let's go. Now with a plan and the quarry close by, everybody rode hard. After about ten minutes, the captain pointed to two men and they splintered off into the woods. Another ten minutes later, the same. Pan cautioned Handsome to be ready. When he saw the captain ready to point at men, Handsome swung his horse to the side and galloped off the road. The captain scowled and brought the others to a stop. "'You may be able to ride and track, Signor,' Captain Caesar called. "'But if you find him, can you fight? "'Feltrino is a master swordsman.' "'Say you won't confront him, but we'll come for help,' Pan whispered. "'The Podesta scowled when Handsome repeated this, but acquiesced. "'De Silva, you go with him. "'You're our best swordsman,' Mastino said. "'The rest of you, let's go.' "'As De Silva and Handsome clambered up the forested steep hill, "'their heavy horses crashing through the underbrush,' Handsome whipped his horse quickly forward. "'Slow down, Master Handsome,' Pan whispered. "'You don't want to get too far ahead of Lieutenant De Silva. "'He has a weapon in case we catch up to Feltrino.' "'I have every intention of catching up with Feltrino,' Handsome replied. "'Damn, I should have taken that dead man's sword.' "'You should have done no such thing,' Pan whispered, "'speaking angrily for the first time since Handsome had known him. 
Sword training at history camp in our time is no preparation for here. Prince Veltrino is a trained killer. We've seen his handiwork. It was hard slogging going uphill in the virgin forest. Suddenly, Pan shouted in Handsome's ear, Stop! Here's his trail. See the broken branches? Look, two sets of hoof prints. Get off the horse and let me spectroanalyze the decay of those crushed leaves to see how far we're behind. A minute later, Pan said, These plants were trampled twenty-five to thirty minutes ago. Have De Silva go up the hill another five minutes and move parallel to us. When Feltrino realizes we're close, he'll go uphill to hide. Handsome related this to De Silva and then added, We must be very careful that Julieta is not harmed. My orders are to retrieve the device that brings images closer, Signor, the soldier said. I was told the girl is of no great concern. That damned telescope, Handsome thought. That's all Podesta de la Scala really cares about. But Handsome realized that he must be pragmatic and not dwell on things he had no control over. He just stared at the man for a moment, then motioned him to move on. Handsome and Pan then continued slowly, allowing De Silva time to get into position. Two sets of tracks indicate Feltrino probably still has Mistress Julieta, Pan said as they started back on the trail. The 24th century topographical map I have in my memory is still most probably valid. At the end of this ridge, the ground will still slope downward as we approach the Po River. After almost an hour, Pan whispered, Stop! The imp then appeared, about quarter size, on the back of the horse's neck. Peering over its crown, Pan cocked his head, and one of his now longer ears turned to a brass hearing tube. In the distance, about five hundred meters, he said out loud, I hear two horses moving away from us. It must be them. Without hesitation, Handsome slapped the horse's reins and kicked him into a canter. "'What are you doing?' Pan cried, his image gripping onto the horse's mane like he was holding on for dear life, his time-changed red butt bouncing up and down. "'Going after him,' Handsome said through gritted teeth. "'And then what?' Pan challenged, his image continuing to bounce. "'What will you do when you catch up?' Handsome pulled back on the reins. "'I'm not saying don't approach him,' Pan said. "'Let's just agree on a plan.' They talked for a minute, Handsome looking anxious. Fine, Handsome finally said. I'll try to do what you say. Come on, let's not get too far behind. Pan hid back in his lamp, and Handsome continued for about five minutes, making more noise than he needed to. He wanted Feltrino to hear them coming, so he would hide and give the other soldiers time to catch up. But if Feltrino came after Handsome, he was supposed to turn and run. Slow down to a walk, Pan whispered. I perceive he has stopped about three hundred meters ahead. I consent the two horses. A hundred meters more, and Pan told Handsome to stop. I sense slight motion in a thicket two hundred meters away, a bit uphill. Now it's time to do what we agreed. Handsome gulped. What happened now determined whether Julietta would remain safe. He took a deep breath and shouted, Feltrino! I know you're hiding in the thicket with Julietta. Feltrino! Feltrino was more than surprised to hear his name being called, and hearing the voice of that damned apprentice caused his blood to rise. He looked at Julietta. She looked back at him, and even though she now had a gag in her mouth, he could tell from her eyes she was smiling. Feltrino! The apprentice's voice rang out again. Can you hear me? There are many men close by. Leave Julietta and the looker and just go. Feltrino, answer me. 
Faltrino became agitated. I'll kill that bastard, he swore. Then he thought hard about what to do. He rose up on his saddle and shouted, I won't talk to a damned apprentice. I'll only talk to an officer. And if anyone comes near, I'll slit the girl's throat. Do you hear me? There was silence. Feltrino, the apprentice's voice called again. Please, just leave Julietta and the looker and we'll back off. Feltrino, please. He's by himself, Feltrino said with realization. He looked at Julietta. Her eyes weren't smiling anymore. Then he shouted, his voice quite light. You are by yourself, apprentice. Ha! He quickly took the reins of the wagon horse Julietta was on and tied them in a double knot to a tree branch. Then he flicked his own reins hard. I'm coming to kill you. As Feltrino's horse bounded out of the thicket, he shouted again, Did you hear me, apprentice? You're going to die. Feltrino's horse quickly scaled down the slope to the ridge and galloped the way he had previously come. But before Feltrino could get the animal up to speed, he heard a crashing of branches above him, then the thundering of hooves. He looked up and saw a large horse with a Scalari soldier coming at full gallop toward him, helmet closed in battle position, sword extended. Feltrino pulled back with his reins, but it was of no use. The two horses were going to collide. "'What's happening?' Handsome asked Pan, who once again was sitting on the neck of Handsome's horse. The noise of pounding ground and the crashing and screaming had caused him to pop out of his lamp. He was squinting, looking into the thick woods. "'De Silva must have attacked him. Quickly, ride up and see, but don't engage in the fight. If we can extract Mistress Julietta—' But Pan didn't finish his sentence. Handsome was whipping and kicking his horse to go forward as fast as possible— Pan seemed to clench his teeth as he held on, then made himself disappear. By the time Handsome got within a hundred paces of the fight, Feltrino and De Silva were off their horses, slashing at each other with their swords. De Silva's charger was down on its front knees, scraping at the ground, screaming in agony. Blood was spurting from its chest. Feltrino's horse was about a hundred paces away, standing calmly. Not far beyond, Handsome could just make out the shape of another horse, prancing nervously in the thicket. Although the Silva had substantial body armor and a closed helmet, it didn't seem to be giving him any advantage. Feltrino, armed only with his saber, seemed a much superior swordsman. His sword clanked off the armor at will, coming in to test the Scalari soldier, then retreating. When Feltrino saw Handsome, he took an extra step back, looking to see if there was anyone else coming. When he saw otherwise, he renewed his attack on De Silva with a vengeance. A few thrusts, parries, feints, and moves to his right, then left, gave Feltrino an opening. He thrust his sword just behind some leg armor, and it broke through the quilted padding, finding flesh. De Silva had to move to his injury and try to counterattack, but Feltrino, with amazing speed, moved away from the attack, then, two-handed, came in on De Silva's backhand, chopping his sword at the soldier's neck. A huge clang and a crack, and De Silva went down onto his face. Before he could even try to rise, Feltrino's sword point had found the chink in his armor again and was thrusting straight down to sever his victim's spine. A spasm and a blood spurt later, De Silva stopped moving. His horse was now on its side, whimpering pathetically. Feltrino looked up, the whites of his eyes glowing over the hundred paces between him and Handsome. "'You're next, apprentice!' Feltrino withdrew his sword from the now lifeless body and stood, challenging Handsome. "'We must turn and run,' Pan whispered. "'But Julietta!' 
The game is to distract Feltrino. If he chases you, we are bound to meet other soldiers within ten minutes. Handsome didn't move. He desperately wanted to go to Julieta. So you are a coward, apprentice, Feltrino called, laughing. What, you don't have a sword? Here, I'll give you one. He picked up the silver sword from the ground and raised it to Handsome. Handsome looked at Feltrino and snarled. Feltrino laughed, holding his hands out and doing a pirouette, exposing himself completely. As he turned, Handsome saw the looker case and strap slung over Feltrino's shoulder and resting on his back. Handsome leaned forward in his saddle. "'Master Handsome!' Pan shouted so hard it hurt Handsome's ear. Handsome pulled hard on the reins and turned his horse around. Then he kicked him as hard as he could to get him running in the direction they had come. Feltrino's pride demanded that he chase the apprentice and kill him. He leaned toward his horse, but checked himself. There were many soldiers looking for him. He had seen them. He thought of what his father would advise. Suppress your pride and accomplish the mission. Pride cometh before a fall. His father had said things like this to him often. Feltrino spat, shoved a silver sword blade into the ground, and hurried toward his animal. He must get to the Po River and cross over to Gonzaga territory as quickly as possible. By the time Feltrino got back to Julieta, she had loosened her hands enough to take the gag off of her mouth, and had almost loosened the knot on the pommel holding her to the saddle. "'Get off that horse, and I'll run you through like I did the others.' Julieta's eyes went wide as she watched a hurrying Feltrino undo her horse from the tree. "'Romero?' she asked, sounding terrified to hear the answer. But Feltrino didn't answer. He was tugging on the knot, trying to force it free. "'Romero! Did you kill Romero?' Feltrino, the reins free now, was pulling at the wagon horse to make it move. Julieta finally screamed, "'Did you kill Romero?' Both horses were now trotting, Feltrino urging them on. Did you? Yes, I killed him. Now shut up! It didn't take long for Handsome and Pan to realize that Feltrino wasn't pursuing. He didn't follow the personality profile I built of him, Pan said. He's acting more maturely. We must turn around, but remember, no direct confrontation. Just harass and try to slow him down. Handsome drove his horse hard. When they passed by De Silva... The pool of his blood had mostly drained into the earth, leaving a dull brown circular stain around his head. Handsome stared at him, then, not getting off his mount, he leaned forward and pulled the silver sword from the ground. "'What are you doing, Master Handsome? What are you doing?' Handsome let silence be his answer. Fifteen minutes later they were at a distance where Pan was again perceiving their quarry. The ground began sloping downward toward the river. It's about a half-hour ride to the Po. Once he crosses it, he'll be on Gonzaga territory. Handsome kicked his horse to speed up. The land began to flatten out, and glimpses of the river appeared through the trees. Finally the forest ended, and there was a clear run to the water. It was a wide part of the river, smooth in some places, boiling in others. The way the river is running, it must be deep, Pan said. Too dangerous for a horse. Handsome could see Feltrino looking up and down the river, hesitating before committing to a dangerous crossing. "'Feltrino!' Handsome shouted, now only four hundred meters from him. "'Please, please don't take Julieta into the water. It's too dangerous if she's tied up.' Feltrino looked up at Handsome for a brief moment, then turned and galloped along the shore. Throwing all care and caution away, Handsome whipped his horse into a run. "'What are you doing, master? Stop! You cannot confront him!' 
Once he's crossed the river, we've lost her, or she'll drown, Handsome grunted as he rode over the uneven shore. Pan projected himself onto the back of the horse again, a look of terror on his hairy face. But what are you going to do when you catch up? What? Pan shouted, his now long, time-changed tail whipping through the air. What? Feltrino clenched his teeth as he rode, taking a path into a grove of trees he thought would lead him to a shallower crossing. When he came out from the woods some time later, he found himself in an open finger of land by the river, but not at a shallows. He was on a cliff's precipice, some twenty-five feet over faster-moving water. Damn! I went the wrong way. There was no way out except the way he came. Feltrino reined his horse around, but before he could spur him, he saw that his way was blocked. It was the apprentice, and he was brandishing a sword. Romero! Julieta gasped, almost happily. Feltrino looked behind Handsome, trying to see who else was there. "'Just let Julietta go, and you can leave,' the apprentice said. "'Captain Caesar and his men can't be more than five minutes away.' Feltrino sat up in his saddle. "'You're still alone.' Then he smiled. "'That's enough time for me to kill a lowly apprentice.' Handsome felt his heart beating in his chest, but it was beating slowly and steadily like a war drum. "'Please, there's no need,' Julietta begged. "'I'll go with you willingly.' "'You'll go with me, willingly or otherwise.' Then he dropped the reins of Julietta's horse and said, "'I shall be back for you in a trice.' He turned, withdrew his still bloody sword, and wagged it at his quarry. "'My blade is getting a good washing of blood today, apprentice. Ready?' Feltrino kicked his horse, and it cantered toward Handsome. "'Keep your sword centered in front of you, ready to parry,' Pan whispered. "'Then get ready to back up quickly. Just play for time.' Handsome saw Feltrino coming, his eyes cool and calm, giving nothing of his attack strategy away. His sabre was in front of him, as if he were going to make a direct stab. At the last moment, Feltrino whirled his horse onto Handsome's flank and swung his blade, letting it connect in the center of his opponent's sword. Handsome deflected the blade to his right, and as Feltrino's horse passed him, he saw it come slashing back at his neck. Again, Handsome blocked. Feltrino whirled his horse around. You have a weak wrist, apprentice. When I kill you, I will take your sword and your horse, as well as your looker. They will be fine prizes. And, of course, I'll still have the girl. Take the horse anyway, Handsome said, quickly sliding off it. Please just leave Julietta. What are you doing? Get back on the horse, Pan cried into Handsome's ear. You're safer there. But Handsome didn't listen. You're right, Feltrino, Handsome continued. I can't beat you in a sword fight. But killing me will take too long, and I don't want a swinging swords around Julietta. Feltrino laughed. He leaned forward in the saddle. Such gallantry for the girl, but no manly pride. You don't want to fight. Handsome took several steps away from the horse, clearing the way for Feltrino to leave. Just take my horse and leave, and keep the looker. Perhaps you are right, Feltrino said. My father would value me bringing a horse over a girl. He looked at the animal and then at Handsome, who stood, sword awkwardly half-raised. "'Oh, what the hell! I'll have it all!' Feltrino dropped off of his horse and rushed at Handsome, slashing his sword back and forth in a blur. Handsome's college training caused him to raise his sword to center, but he had never seen such a fierce and bold attack as this. "'Defense only!' Pan cried. "'Defense only!' Handsome deflected the first attack, positioning his sword for the next assault. It came and he stepped back instinctively and deflected it. 
The blows were harder than any he had felt in competition. He realized Feltrino was just testing him, and there was more to come. Romero, Julieta cried. Don't look at her, Pan shouted, only at Feltrino's chest, not his sword or eyes. Feltrino glared back at Handsome, then took a step back. He sneered and put his hands out to his side, exposing his chest, inviting an attack. Feltrino, please, Julieta pleaded. Don't kill him. I'll do anything. Now Feltrino showed total disdain for Handsome, turning his back on him and addressing Julieta. But, signorina, why would you want to spare such a coward? He comes for you, but does not fight. You need someone like me to give you manly bambinos. They would have a spine. After I kill this one, I will have you for my bed a while before I kick you out, but you will take back with you a bambino with a proper sire. Handsome reacted, raising his sword and running at Feltrino. The Gonzaga whirled around and deflected the blow. Handsome continued slashing three, then four times, Feltrino blocking each attack easily. It was then that Handsome realized Feltrino was truly playing with him. He stopped and looked at his opponent, who now smiled. Finally, he at least tries to fight like a man. Let's see if he can die like one. Feltrino swung several long, swooping blows at Handsome. Handsome blocked them, but he could tell he was still being played with. Four, five, six blows in a row came from above, all like the play-fighting he had practiced at history camp. Feltrino then sliced his sword sideways, stopping the blade in midair, posing like someone in a play, teasing Handsome. Then his eyes narrowed and he took a deep breath. He squared off his stance and smiled. Goodbye, apprentice. Feltrino pulled his sword back and slashed so hard that when it connected with Handsome's blade, it flew from Handsome's hand and landed fifteen feet away by the cliff edge. No time to pray, I'm afraid, Feltrino said, and Handsome ran, diving for the sword. Romero, Julieta cried, a rumble in the distance. Handsome saw Feltrino spin toward the noise. There were at least ten horses riding at full speed up the river toward them. Damn, no more playing. Handsome was down on his knees, his sword back in his hand. Feltrino came running at him, sword extended. Die, apprentice! A hard ruby light emitted from Handsome's shoulder straight into Feltrino's eyes. He screamed in agony. Fall to the side, Master Handsome, Pan cried. Handsome did as he was told, and Feltrino's sword sunk into the earth right where Handsome had been kneeling. Feltrino fell to the ground in a heap, still screaming in pain. Handsome fell upon him and punched him in the face over and over again, completely out of control. After a number of punches, Feltrino fought back. Handsome, grasping for something hard to hit Feltrino with, grabbed the case with the looker from off of Feltrino's back and started beating him with it. He felt it bend and crumple, then tore it away and threw it into the grass, continuing to pummel him with his fists. "'Get up, handsome!' Pan shouted. "'Get up! Get up! It's too dangerous to be in contact with even a blind Feltrino. Get up and get your sword!' Handsome rolled off and quickly got his sword, holding it out in front of him, the point about six inches from Feltrino, who was still fumbling for his prey. Handsome reached forward carefully, grabbed Feltrino's sword, and threw it over the cliff and into the water. Then he backed off. "'Where are you, apprentice? Fight me, apprentice!' Feltrino shouted from his knees. "'No, Feltrino,' Handsome said. "'I—I I don't want to kill you.' Feltrino seemed to relax, and Handsome raised the sword to his shoulder. "'Over here, Captain! They're over here!' a soldier's voice shouted. Handsome looked up the path and saw the Podesta's cavalry hurtling toward them. 
Then he turned to Julietta, who was still sitting tied to her horse. Their scared eyes met. When they saw they were both alive and safe, they smiled. Feltrino's blindness wasn't black, but red. He blinked hard, trying to make his eyes work. Finally, a little bit of the world began to seep back into his vision. He saw the ground, then the apprentice's feet, not too far away. He saw the cliff, the running water, and as he turned his head, he could just make out a mass of moving muscle, horses thundering toward him. He stealthily looked up and saw the apprentice, his sword stupidly resting on his shoulder. He was even looking away. Feltrino reached down to his side and slowly took his dagger from its sheath. He leaned forward. A Romero! A knife! He heard the girl scream. Through his still-blurred vision, Feltrino saw the sword blade flash toward him. It caught his hand at the base of his thumb, and then the only sound he heard was the metal of the sword hit the knife's hilt. He saw red again, but it was the red of his own blood gushing from where his thumb had been. Feltrino fell to the ground, then saw and felt the sword blade at his throat. So, this is my death, he thought. I'm sorry, father. I have failed you. Feltrino looked up into the eyes of his executioner, but he did not see his death there. He saw the apprentice look up quickly at the approaching horses. Now! Feltrino screamed in his mind. Without hesitation, he rolled toward the cliff. He felt himself momentarily in the air, and then cold, fast-running water enveloped him. When he bobbed to the surface, he was a good fifty paces from his enemies, and traveling away at great speed. Handsome turned and watched Feltrino bobbing up and down in the water, thrashing his hands to steady himself and not drown. He was soon hundreds of paces away. As many horses thundered around him, Handsome felt himself running to Julietta and pulling at her bonds to free her. He helped her off of the horse, flung his arms around her, and kissed her long in the mouth. The first words he heard were the Podestas. She is like a sister to him. Handsome heard a loud guffaw of male laughter, but he didn't care. He held on to Julietta for dear life, and she to him. Tears were streaming from both their eyes. Things quieted as the soldiers were given orders. The captain sent two men to try to catch Feltrino. His horse was being searched, and so was the area. After a minute, Handsome felt a tap on his shoulder. It was the Podesta. He was holding the crumpled looker. "'You left none of the work for us, Romero,' he said with a smile on his face. Handsome couldn't answer. He felt so full of emotion, he just stood there, shaking. The Podesta looked at him quizzically. "'Why did you let him live?' he asked. "'I would have sanctioned his death.' Handsome couldn't get any words out, his chest now heaving in great gasps. "'Excellency!' called one of the soldiers, picking something off the ground. "'He didn't let all of them go. Look, a noble thumb!' All the soldiers laughed. He brought it over and put it right in front of Handsome's face. Torn ligaments hung from the pink flesh. The recognizable thumbnail looked ghoulishly out of place. "'Do you wish to keep it as a prize, senor? "'Or maybe a meal?' another soldier joked. Everybody laughed uproariously. The soldier with the thumb opened his mouth and held the severed digit between his lips, smiling. Handsome fell to his knees and retched. Chapter 19 They didn't find Feltrino. He could have drowned or he could have made it to the other side of the river. It was getting dark when they finally came out of the hills and onto the road back to Verona. Julietta was sitting sideways in front of Handsome. Both were exhausted. "'I'm sorry I wasn't man enough to kill him for you,' Handsome said to her. "'I would have if I had to.' "'I'm glad you are a man who doesn't kill unnecessarily,' she answered. "'My love, 
Feltrino, did he... Hansom began to ask. Did he... No, no, my love, Julietta replied, worry in her eyes. Truly. Hansom smiled at her. Sleep, my darling, he said lovingly into her ear. We've a long ride home. Two soldiers were ordered to ride ahead quickly to Verona and give the news. The rest would trudge on, expecting to get back home early in the morning. The night was mild and clear, and the moon was rising. Hansom had been so upset that everyone was letting him be, riding at the rear. He just rode along through the night, Julietta sleeping in his arms. Though his body hurt in every place possible, and though he had experienced the most terrifying day of his life, he was content. Happiness flowed through him. He even dozed as his horse walked along. It was coming to the pre-dawn when he began to feel calm again. His thoughts returned to the problem of the looker order. One of the soldiers called that the walls of the city were in sight. They would be home in an hour. Handsome perked up. He could overhear the Podesta talking to Captain Caesar about the cannons he had seen in Germany. Handsome gently sped his horse up to come abreast of them. "'War will be different with this apparatus, Marcus,' the Podesta was saying. "'If we can get control of these before the others in the region, we can dominate.' "'Ah, Romero, you've recovered your composure.' "'Yes, Excellency, grazie.' "'We have with us not only a young man of talent,' the Podesta pronounced, "'but also one of action.' "'I've never experienced such a thing,' Handsome admitted. "'Excuse my emotions.' "'But how did you overpower him, Signor? the captain asked. "'Luck,' Handsome answered. The Podesta laughed. "'Excellency, may I speak to you about these cannon?' "'Master Handsome, what are you doing?' Pan whispered in an exasperated tone. Handsome saw the Podesta look over at the captain and smile. "'Leave us, Marcus,' the Podesta said, still smiling. "'What do you wish to speak of, Romero?' If Verona had superior cannon, this would be a good thing? A very good thing. Princes are always wanting better tools of war. Like your lookers, it gives us advantages. Romero, are you saying you know something more of cannon than just their existence? Master, please don't go there, Pan warned. You don't know what— This may sound strange, Excellency, Handsome said, ignoring Pan, but I can't really say what I know now. "'You know nothing, and you must say nothing.' "'Perhaps when we get back to Verona,' Handsome continued, "'I can draw up some papers on the subject, and we can examine them together. "'This is a dangerous game.' "'The Podesta stretched his arms out to the moon and laughed. "'God in his heaven is truly shining down on me in my Verona. "'Of course, Romero, of course. "'I will look at anything you want to show me. "'Thank you, Excellency. It may take some days.' "'It may take forever.' "'Or never,' Pan whispered. "'The battle has driven you insane. "'Can I ask about something else, Excellency?' "'Oh, no. Now what?' "'Certainly,' Mastino answered. "'The order for the lookers,' Handsome said. "'Oh, I get it now. "'Clever, Master Handsome, clever.' "'Of course. <laughs> "'Why didn't I see this coming?' Mastino laughed. "'You are negotiating. "'Romero, why don't you just ask me for a boon "'because of your heroism, my son?' "'Perhaps I will,' Handsome said. "'But I sincerely believe we can deliver the lookers in good time. "'Romero, our concerns are sincere, too. "'To judge what a man will do in the future, "'look to how he has acted in the past. "'Our fear is that if Master de la Capa becomes involved in larger projects "'and with all the pressures that comes with them, "'he might turn to the wine again. "'It is his weakness.' My master has exchanged his weakness for the joy he gains from his family and his work. 
and the memory of his troubles and the ill it brought the family, these reinforce his resolve. And you, Romero, are you resolved? Mastino questioned. I think I can speak for all the youth of my house when I say we have both the desire and the motivations to make our lives secure. We all know what has to be done and why. Such wisdom for one so young, Mastino said. Well, what must I do, Lord? Mastino said, looking up at the moon again. Shall I change my mind for Romero's sake? He did bring me the looker. Excellency, I promise you, Handsome said, the house of Della Capa has many more ideas to bring you. This I promise. Ah, a promise, Mastino said. A promise. Julietta stirred, waking up. She opened her eyes and looked at Handsome. She smiled. When she saw the Podesta, she looked a little frightened. Mastino smiled gently and flicked his reins, moving his horse forward to give Handsome and Julietta privacy. I shall think on it, Romero, he called back. I shall think on it. Julietta looked at Handsome questioningly. Chapter 20 Julietta! the signora shrieked. Julietta! She came and flung herself against the haunch of Handsome's horse, grabbing her daughter's leg and hugging it. Handsome lowered Julietta down, and the poor girl was engulfed by her mother. Handsome looked and saw the household all outside, faces beaming, jumping up and down. Tears were already streaming from Master de la Capa's face as he joined his wife in embracing their child. Lincoln and Shamira were smiling up at Handsome, and Handsome couldn't believe how sore he was as he made his way off the horse. Lincoln had to steady him as his legs almost gave way. "'Ho there, old boy!' Lincoln laughed. Shamira ran her hand over all the scratches and dirt on Handsome's face, then took one of his hands and examined the ripped calluses and cuts. Even Nicodemo's carriage was at the house. The baron walked up and took the reins of Mastino's horse, which was at the head of all the soldiers. "'You've come back safely and successfully, my lord. I'm so glad. Ride in the carriage from here.' "'In a minute,' Mastino said. Handsome looked and saw the Podesta surveying the reunion, especially the master. When Master de la Capa saw the nobleman watching him, he released himself from his family and clambered over to Mastino. He fell to his knees and kissed the Podesta's muddy boot. "'I don't care if we've lost the contract for the looker's excellency. You brought my daughter back to me. Grazie, grazie. We can have a life making the discs for the eyes, but what is life without a child?' "'You're welcome, de la Capa, you're welcome. But you must thank Romero for your daughter's life.' Agostino looked wide-eyed at Handsome. "'As for your living, Master de la Capa, please get up. That's better. Now, signor, listen. Romero has assured me of your sobriety and fidelity if you are given the contract for the lookers. What do you say to that?' Agostino looked confused. Every eye was upon him. The air was silent. "'So what do you say?' Mastino repeated. "'Will you deliver and be constant and sober?' "'Answer, our lord,' the baron said, a huge smile on his face. "'Oh, see, your excellency, oh, see, 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 I will be constant and faithful,' he said, finally finding words. "'I, I will deliver without fail, without fail, and if wine ever touches these lips, I have already sworn that an angel of God may strike me down with fire.' "'Then listen carefully, Master de la Capa,' Mastino continued." One thousand lookers for King Karl of Luxembourg, and five hundred for Ludwig of Wittelsbach. I give these orders to you. 
The news hit Agostino so hard that he tottered off balance and ended up sitting on the running board of the carriage. Nicodemo came over and banged the master on the back. "'It's an especially good day now, eh, Agostino?' the baron laughed. Agostino's eyes began to well up with more tears, which he tried to stop by forcing a smile, which only turned into a comically contorted grimace. "'It is a very good day, Excellency,' Agostino said in a whimper. "'I'm very glad.' And then he broke down completely and cried. "'No tears, Della Capa. I thought I could trust you,' Mastino laughed. "'Does everybody in this house break out in tears when they are happy?' "'It appears so,' Handsome said, helping Agostino to his feet. The whole family came over and crowded together. "'Oh, I can't stand this, Nicky,' the Podesta said, getting off his horse and heading toward the carriage. "'Let's go home.' He turned before climbing up and called, "'Della Capa!' The group turned toward him. "'Bring Signor Romero to the palace with you next week to work out the contract.' He climbed into the carriage and then turned. "'One more thing.' Everybody turned to listen to what he had to say. "'We will loan you the money to clear your debts in Florence.' A collective gasp came from the Della Cappa household. Agostino had to be propped up again. The signora actually fell to her knees and started praying. "'Yes, Excellency,' Agostino whimpered, still swaying. "'Grazie, Excellency.' "'Without fail, Excellency, without fail,' he kept repeating. "'Without fail.' "'Come, Master,' Handsome said gently. "'Let's go in the house.' "'And Romero,' Mastino continued. "'Yes, Excellency,' Handsome asked, as the group stopped and turned again. "'Romero, remember your promise.' Handsome released himself from the group, looked the Podesta in the eye, smiled, and then bowed. Chapter 21 Handsome was back home with his parents in the 24th century. He was sitting in their garden, just outside their domed house, overlooking the pristine Hudson River. It was a beautiful sunny day. He was telling his parents all about the battle with Feltrino, how he had negotiated with Mastino della Scala to exchange information about advanced cannon for the order of telescopes, and how he was in love with the most wonderful girl from any century, Giulietta. Handsome turned and looked at Julietta, presenting her to his parents. Handsome's mother smiled and hugged the young woman who was to become her daughter-in-law. Handsome's father laughed happily. "'You genies,' Charlene was saying to Pan. "'I can't believe you gave them advanced technological information from the future. Fixing the timeline has been such a mess for the Time Commission.' "'I tried to tell Master Handsome we shouldn't do it,' Pan said. "'But he convinced me that it was a matter of necessity. "'Shamira and I worked two long nights on those plans of advanced cannon and black powder. "'It was the only thing to convince the Podesta.' "'And how did that work out for you, son?' Handsome's father asked. "'Oh, it worked out just,' Handsome began to say, and then he paused. "'He couldn't remember how it all came out in the end.' "'And this whole adventure?' Handsome's mother asked. Her history camp elder's pin gleamed in the sunlight. "'How did it work out for you, son? Do you get it now?' "'So is everybody ready for repast?' Handsome's father interrupted. "'Carmella has a wonderful meal ready for us.' "'Carmella?' Handsome said. "'I told you, Dad, her name is Shamira.' "'You are so beautiful, Julietta,' Handsome's mother said, now with tears in her eyes." She held Julietta's face in her hands and kissed it. "'My son loves you so much. I wish I could be around to see my grandchildren.' "'Mother, what are you talking—' 
I said a wonderful meal is ready, father repeated, but his voice was much gruffer. Hey, you sound like... Romero, wake up, the master's voice shouted. Romero, wake up. Hansom opened his eyes. Master de la Capa's head was sticking out of the opening to the loft. He was scrubbed clean, beard trimmed, and not only had his new cap on, but also a wonderful jacket, vest, and shirt. Good morning, my son, he said, smiling. Everyone else is awake and dressed. We're waiting on you to eat. Buongiorno, master, Hansom yawned. How are your wounds? Agostino inquired. Oh, much better, Hansom groaned, raising himself up. He still felt incredibly sore, and his body, especially his legs and butt, continued to be badly bruised from the hard riding and fighting the week before. Your new clothes are down in the shop. I didn't want to bring them up in the straw. Come, my son, the Podesta's carriage will be here soon. It all came back to Hansom in a rush. Today was the day to visit the palace and complete the contract for the lookers. As well, Shamira and Pan had secretly worked on plans for cannon and black powder, not too advanced, but something to keep the Podesta's favor, and it wasn't only Handsome and the Master going to the palace. A letter came from the Baron, making the appointment for the meeting. In it, Baron de Pontermoli had written, "'During an earlier visit to your shop, I was impressed with young Maruccio's talent for organization and his knowledge of letters.' I would like to show him how to organize Master de la Capa's books to run what will most certainly be a larger business concern. Zippy, Lincoln had said, his chest puffing out, and Shimira was also invited to view the Podesta's private art collection. She squealed, literally squealed, when she heard this. We must get a new dress for you, Julieta exclaimed. Oh, can I, Master? Can I? Shimira begged, wide-eyed. "'Now I have two daughters to spoil, and two daughters who will ruin me,' Agostino laughed. Handsome laughed even harder when he read out the end of the letter. "'We shall send a carriage to bring you to the palace after first mass.' "'A royal carriage?' the signora shouted. "'Oh, Papa, that's wonderful. Isn't that wonderful, Romero?' Julietta said, looking at her secret fiancé from across the table." Master de la Capa not only made good on his promise of a new dress for Shamira, he had the Satores make new clothes for everyone. As the family was waiting outside for the royal carriage, everybody laughed when Agostino said, "'We all look pretty zippy.' The master looked over at Handsome in his new outfit. His shoes were beige, and his bray mustard. He was also wearing a green jacket and a new cap. The cap was brown felt with leather piping along the edge, and a secret pouch for pan. Julietta and Shamira were fussing over Handsome, preening and straightening his collar. The master frowned, a bit jealous of his little girl fussing over another man. Then he felt a fat, feminine hand at his lapels, straightening them. It was his wife. She patted him on the face. "'Never before did we supply royalty,' she said. "'Soon we'll have a carriage of our own.' "'From your mouth to God's ears,' Agostino answered. Then he did something he had not done in years." He gave his wife a kiss. The signora looked up at her husband, and then over at Julietta and Handsome. "'I like the orphan boy now,' she said. As the royal carriage rolled up, many neighbors ran out of their houses to take part in the excitement. The driver got out to open the passenger compartment's door and helped Agostino into the cab. Lincoln climbed up, holding a larger looker with a tripod they were bringing as a gift for the Podesta. Then Handsome climbed aboard, the cardboard tube with the secret plans under his arm. The Signora and Julietta waved enthusiastically as the carriage began to move. All the neighbors cheered. 
Both the master and handsome leaned out the window and blew kisses to their girls. Then they all sat back and reveled in their new situation. Life is good, the master said, crossing himself. I had the strangest dream last night, handsome said quietly to the two others. As the carriage trundled over the cobblestones, he whispered, Julietta, Pan, and I were back home with my parents and Charlene. Everything was wonderful, and we were all getting along. Then my mother asked me about history camp, and if I got it yet. Handsome looked at Shamira and then Lincoln. Lincoln smiled a crooked smile, like the answer was obvious. Well? Shamira asked. Well, what? Handsome asked. Do you? The End Hello, this is Laurie Kaufman, author of the Verona Trilogy. I hope you've enjoyed the first volume of the series, The Lens and the Looker, read for you by Craig Walker. I loved the voices Craig performed for all the different characters. He read from one to the other flawlessly. The Lens and the Looker was the first book of three volumes in this series. The second audiobook, The Bronze and the Brimstone, will be available sometime in the spring of 2014. The Loved and the Lost, audiobook three, sometime later that year. If you don't want to wait that long to know what happens to handsome Shamir and Lincoln, go to my website, www.lauriekaufman.com. That's www.lauriekaufman.com. There you can learn how to buy either an electronic or paper copy of the series. While at my website, you can also read my blog, other readers' comments, and a link entitled Backstory. This is an ever-expanding essay by me, telling interested readers all about the themes and research I did in creating the story's 24th century universe. So thanks again for listening, and like always, I wish you good reading. Goodbye now.